The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Every month when the credit card bill arrives and your partner notices more charges from ultra sign-up, they secretly curse the name of my guest, on this episode of The Adventure Jogger. Through his books, Ultra Marathon Man, 50-50, Run, The Road to Sparta, he has inspired thousands of us, including myself, to push ourselves beyond our comfort zones and to test our physical and mental limits. I can't believe I can finally now say Dean Carnazis is on The Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Dean. Well, thank you for having me run by. I wish I was running by, but <laughs> it's great to be on. And I, uh, I wish I was getting a, a commission off those ultra signups. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, <laughs> you really should get a dollar for every race that people sign up for. Uh, you, those who still like me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dean, I wanted, I'm going to be honest with you. Your book, Ultra Marathon Man, and I'm sure you hear this quite a bit, changed my life introduced me to, to ultra running. Most people, Dean, when they have a midlife crisis, it just means that the local Corvette dealership gets more money. You had a midlife crisis and it changed lives all over the country. That's, I mean, I'm sure you hear it all the time, but have you ever sat down and gone like, oh my God, had I not decided to put on those gardening shoes all those years ago and run that one night. I mean, would the sport even be where it is today? Do you ever just sit and think about that? I, I blame it all on bad tequila. <laughs> <laughs> I was drunk. <laughs> but no, I mean, you have to, is it, when was it? And by the way, I'm trying very hard to not turn this interview into do you remember when Chris Farley was on Saturday Night Live, Dean, and he did the Chris Farley show where he would interview celebrities? I remember that, yeah. And he would yeah, go, good show. right, it'd be something like, hey, hey, Paul McCartney, remember that time when you, when you played that, that, one inter that one concert with the Beatles? It's like, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying not to turn that, uh, <laughs> this interview into that, that thing, though. But I mean, when, when for you did it, did the, 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 the surrealness become real of writing your thoughts down of the experience you had and then realizing like, oh, people are reading this and this is changing people's lives? Hey, I mean, I have to be honest, even right now, as you're saying this, it feels a bit surreal. I, you know, it wasn't my intention. I mean, I, uh, I wanted to write a book just because it was on my life list. Like, you know, many, many people have life lists. I want to, you know, I want to jump out of an airplane. I want to swim with sharks. You know, I want to run it, write a book. And I wrote a book and I thought, you know, if, if five of my buddies buy this, I'll be lucky. Uh, I didn't, I had no idea the, the reach and scope that that book would, uh, you know, it took on a life of its own. And it's been the most confusing and rewarding thing, obviously in my life. I mean, I have, uh, not a lot, I don't share this with a lot of people because it, you know it's so personal. But I mean, I have 
I have tens of thousands of messages from people, and a lot of them, you know, the, the very first sentence is, you know, you changed my life. And to me, it's so profound when I read that because uh, I feel like I almost have an obligation. Like I, um, I have to be true to the man I am. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, the guy you're talking to is, is the guy you're talking to. Like, I, I don't have any hidden skeletons in the closet. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, not the guy you think I am. <laughs> right. So I, I feel pretty true about that, but it's still like, I, it feels like it's not really pressure on me, but it's, it's a, it's a great, I guess a great honor and, a, and somewhat of an obligation. You talked numerous times, Dean, about how you're an introvert. Um, you, you mentioned it numerous times in your books, um, but you've had to kind of push outside of that. You are the most, uh, you, you know, extroverted introvert I think I've ever encountered. Yeah, I think the term is uh, an ambivert, like uh, someone who's ambidextrous. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you can, you can turn on that, uh, that extrovert within. And yeah, I, I, you know, my mom is a, an amazing introvert and my dad is an amazing extrovert. You know, they're really on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I, when I get in front of a crowd, I just say, let your inner dad come out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the truth. And then your kids probably eye roll when you, when you go into full dad. Uh, they like it. I mean, they, you know, they, they like, it, it's, it's a more gregarious, you know, more yeah. uh, kind of upbeat. And, uh, you know, it's fun to be around someone who's, you know, kind of, you know, living life and enjoying life. And, you know, when I'm in front of people, I, I really do. I, I feed a lot off other people's energies. I mean, mm-hmm. I like learning about other people and, um, you know, people say I inspire them, but uh, inspiration is a two way street. You know, I've, I've heard so many stories from, you know, from people that have come, you know, overcome things that I can't even imagine. And, you know, they're saying, wow, you, you know, you're so inspirational. I'm like, Oh, hold it. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've, uh, you know, you've, kick cancer's butt, you know, you, <laughs> you, you were an alcoholic, you know, you used to weigh 400 pounds and you're running a marathon now and I'm inspirational. I mean, you know, it's calling the kettle black. Do you use some of those stories for fuel when it gets really hard? Cause I'm, I'm sure even for Dean Carnazes, there's certain runs where you're like, Oh, I hate that. I'm the ultra marathon man. Why couldn't I be the couch man? Do you, <laughs> do you use that for fuel? You know, I, I do. It's, it's, I, I live a weird life because it's, it's, you know, it's hard for me to struggle because people, you know, they, they see me always as this invincible guy that has done all these amazing things, you know, and here he is running a 50 miler and he's, you know, he's falling apart. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, I often wonder what people think when they see me, you know, I'm, I'm no longer a young man, let's face it. That, <laughs> you know, that book came out, you know, in, in 2005. So you know, time is fast. And even when the book came out, I wasn't a young man. So, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, to go to races where I'm, I'm not, you know, up on the podium, but I think people now are just respecting the fact that I'm still showing up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, I still, I still love to run marathons as much as I ever have. And I've, you know, I've done a few hundred of them and I still am at the starting line. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not cracking three hours anymore or I am, if I'm really, you know, training hard to do that, but I'm still enjoying it as much as ever. And I'm, I'm still, you know, carrying on, you know, you're bringing joy to people that have read your book. And when they pass you, they go, I passed the ultra marathon, man. Like you, <laughs> you made, you made their life. You're bringing them joy in that way, Dean. 
Well, I, I can't. I mean, I mean, thankfully there were no turkey trots this year because <laughs> I, you know, I remember last year running a 5K fun run turkey trot, you know, and I came up upon a guy. And he kind of glanced over and looked at me, and he picked it up, you know. And I thought, oh, okay, here we go. And I start sprinting, and he starts sprinting. <laughs> and we're running, you know, crushing kids, you know, <laughs> trampling old old men, <laughs> trying to get to the finish line first. And I'm thinking, this is a 5K, but uh, that happens to me all the time. People see me, and the, you know, they they want to they want to beat me. Which is fine. It's all in good fun. Well, you must you must recognize that look by now. Like there's there's a certain I know who you are look, or it's that certain look, Dean, where people are trying to put two and two together. They're like that short, muscly guy looks like the guy from the book, but I'm not 100 percent sure. And then you must talk, and then they go, "Oh, okay." And then and then they give you that look that they know who you are. But then there's that look at. Oh, I know who you are. Like, there's that difference between I know who you are and oh, I know who you are. <laughs> I, I get that all the time. People say, uh, you know, as we're running, hold there, are you are you like Dean Carnassus? And I would say, you know, I look just like him. I get that all the time. <laughs> and sometimes they they are onto me. Sometimes they're onto me. Other times, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, I. I I didn't mean to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this because um, I've interviewed Carl Meltzer a couple of times, and and Carl has an incredible level of fame. But his level of fame is is really in the running community. Like he he's talked about how he can't go into a running store because if you want, well, he can. But if he goes into a running store, he knows most likely people are going to say, "Oh, it's it's the Speed Goat." You know, and how? But he knows like when he's out running and he sees people wearing a Speed Goat shoe. Not everybody knows who he is. Like, he'll say nice shoes to whoever he passes who's wearing the speed goats. And sometimes the people get it. And other times people are like, why is this guy commenting on my shoes? Because he's, he's very popular in the running world. You stepped outside that running world, Dean, and you kind of made the ultra world much bigger when you went on David Letterman and you went on live and Regis, uh, with Regis and Kelly and you ran across the United States, your level of fame with the time magazine and all of that kind of is pretty high, even for runners. So it's gotta be even worse for you. You, there's not a lot of places you can hide Dean. Well, I mean, I'm not going to the airport a lot these days, so (laughs) I get noticed a lot less (laughs) frequently, but yeah, I I don't know why I've, I've kind of transcended running, but for some reason I have. And, you know, the other thing is that, I mean, I can go to a, a half marathon and still a lot of people recognize me where, you know, a lot of uh, like someone like Carl, who's such an icon to me and, you know, such a hero in the ultra marathoning world. You know, the, I don't know if he runs, you know, regular road half marathons or marathons, right. but people probably wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't recognize him as much because it's, it's a different crowd altogether. Yeah. You know, you take him to any ultra marathon and, you know, people are going to worship him, myself included, but I can show up these like local fun runs and, you know, people know me and, you know, just running down the street, (laughs) people stop me all the time (laughs) or, you know, yell at the car window, go, you know, go Carno. So it's, 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 I don't know. I, it's, it's funny in that regard, but you're absolutely right. And a lot of people would stop me in the airport and say, wow, you know, I really admire you. And. These are not just, these are largely not ultra marathoners. I mean, there's a lot of younger kids, cross country kids. I think a lot of schools, they read, you know, they read running books and they mm-hmm. read my book. And I guess I'm, you know, I'm still kind of, I still kind of look like I did. Yeah. 
you know, a little more wrinkly and a couple gray hairs here and there, but more or less, you know, the same guy. So uh, I, I guess I have somewhat of a brand identity. Yeah, this was the time, though, Dean, you really missed out on an opportunity during the pandemic. You could have grown out your hair and you could have gotten a mustache and you could have told people, no, I'm Dan Costanza when they asked you if you're <laughs> Dean Carnassus, and you probably could have got away with it. Uh, it's so funny you say that because uh, I'll send you a picture afterward. I did just that. Well, you grew a mustache? And I grew a mustache. <laughs> I grew a mustache for the life of me. I, like, I don't even know where it came from. And people, I mean, I got so many comments about, you know, being a 70s porn star <laughs> to, are you, you know, you're a weird Al Yankovic. And, <laughs> and then who's the guy from Kazakhstan? The, Borat. Borat. What, what's his name? Borat. Did you look like Borat, Borat. with your mustache? Yeah, yeah, it's Borat. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta shave this stash and cut the hair. You know, I think the mustache is something that, at least for most men, we see Tom Selleck and we see how awesome <laughs> he was. And I think your short length is about the same as Tom Selleck's back when he was on Magnum P.I. And we all look at that and go, my God, if I could only have that epitome of masculinity on my face, all of my problems would be solved. Not realizing that very few of us can pull that off like Tom Selleck can. Yeah, Tom Selleck, I am not. That is for sure. But uh, I did get to, I did get references to Tom Selleck as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, how have you been dealing with the pandemic, Dean? How has the ultra marathon man been dealing with the the world shutting down? I, you know, I'll be honest. It uh, at first I was um, I kind of welcomed it, like, oh, wow, no no travel. That's you know, travel is a two edged sword. I mean, mm. it's it's great. I love traveling, but it can be very exhausting. And, you know, this year was supposed to be the busiest year of my life. I mean, my, my travel uh, itinerary was just, it was insane in a good way. Lots of international travel, lots of events. And when it first hit, I thought, okay, well, I'll miss a couple events right out of the gate. And that, that's fine. I'll, you know, just kick back a bit. But now it, um, I feel like a caged animal. I am <laughs> so ready for this to be over. I, uh, I can't tell you how uh, how difficult it's been to endure this uh, this pandemic, and I still I mean I still run every day, but I, you know, even though I'm an introvert, mm -hmm. I do have that extroverted side, and I think that, you know, part of me so enjoyed being in front of people and meeting and doing book signings and you know that sort of stuff because I could come home and just go running off in the hills by myself, and now that I've been running off in the hills by myself for you know nearly a year. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to have some cheering fans along the sidelines, you know, and, and some group hugs at the finish. Um, that, is that, is that yeah, why you're burning down? Things. Is yeah. that why you're burning down people at the local 5K, Dean? Because you just need some of that in your life. <laughs> I need that. I need to beat someone. Come on. <laughs> well, let's go back a minute, Dean. I know you've you've got a new book. And I want to talk about the, the new book and, and kind of where you're going forward. But I want to go back for a minute. When, when you discovered the ultramarathon world, it was a much different place than it is now. Uh, and I, I've, 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 I love talking to guys like Andy Jones Wilkins, where they give you kind of the lowdown of, of the way the sport was right before it exploded. Um, you found the sport in a very interesting place, a place where... Runners didn't have to sign up for a race 10 years in advance to get in. Everything wasn't a lottery. 
Um, do you look back at those days and go like, oh, man, the good old days before. <laughs> look at what the world was like before I started. Give us kind of your impression of the early days of ultra running when you discovered the sport. Yeah, I mean, I, I've known Andy for years. So, I, you know, I ran my first ultra in uh, 1992. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I was looking at, so I, in, in my new book, I quote these statistics, but uh, in 1992, I think I was one of about 3,500 finishers of an ultra yeah. in North America. And in 1992, there was something like a hundred and, uh, I'm sorry, in, in uh, uh, 2019, there was something like 145,000 finishers in North America. Wow. So the growth has been astronomical. And, and you're right. There were there was no such thing as a lottery back then, and uh, there also wasn't. You know, there, there's ultra groupies now. I mean, it's it's become a, it's kind of become a thing to be an ultra marathoner. Um, I, you know, I, I really appreciate the way that the sport has evolved. I think the sport has stayed true to the sport in a lot of ways. I think the sport still has its soul. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go to an ultra marathon, and uh, you know, uh, Western states, for instance. It's it's still <laughs> they still use those same signs they've been using since I first ran it back in you know 1994. Yeah, it's the same signs and you know and it's still very grungy and grassroots and in, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's certainly grown up since um, when I first started, but I still think it has a lot of appeal. And you know, running in general has grown up in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, marathon running has has exploded as well. But I. I don't think marathon running has quite the soul of ultra marathoning or the funk. I think ultra marathoning is still funky. Oh, for sure. It's smelly. Um, it's a little, I think what, what I love about it, Dean, is it's, it's less serious by the bulk of the people. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a chunk of athletes at every race that take it very seriously, but there's the bulk of the athletes at any starting line of an ultra marathon are, are there more for the enjoyment and are there for themselves. And it just seems a little more like a low key event. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, a lot of people are out there for the adventure of it Mm -hmm. and they don't really care. I mean, certainly they'd like to finish, you know, in a decent time, but they're not, that's not their primary motivator. And the primary motivator is to go have a great experience out there. Um, You know, interact with people in a way that we just discussed, you know, very organically and, um, there's such a great sense of camaraderie and inclusion, I think, in ultra marathoning that I don't think you see in, in some other of the disciplines of running. Oh, for sure. Because you think about, you know, a big city marathon, you know, Dean Carnassus, you may be able to go up in the farther reaches or the, the earlier corrals and, and see the elites, right? But most people will never encounter an elite athlete at a marathon at all. They won't share the starting line with them. They won't share the finish line with them. They won't see them on the course. But with ultra marathon running, you, I mean, nothing's going to stop you from lining up right next to Jim Walmsley. I mean, you're probably going to see him for about 30 seconds, but everybody lines up at the same starting line, minus COVID. I know that's changed a bit with COVID, but um, once it goes back to normal, everybody lines up at the same starting line. Everybody goes to the same finish line. You're running the same course at the same time. And a lot of times, like you saw with you know, Western States when you ran it all those years, and where, where, you know, Jurek would, would sit at the finish line and cheer everybody in. That's that's an entirely different atmosphere than what you would get from a big city road marathon. Absolutely, and you know, I mean, at Western State, they have the the 
the quote unquote golden hour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the last hour before the cutoff, uh, they call it the golden hour. And, you know, five times as many people come out to watch the last hour than to watch the winner. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I think that speaks to, uh, you, you know, the, the, just the, the depth of what ultramarathoning is. It's, it's so much more than just winning. I mean, certainly winning has become, um, you know, something uh, more of a thing these days. I mean, racing has become a thing, and more people are making a, a living uh, running ultra marathons, which, you know, that, that was one of my charters when I, you know, set out to expand the sport is, you know, I thought, I think it'd be a great thing if more people, especially younger people could make a decent living being just ultra marathoners. They didn't have to, you know, you know, be a waiter on the side or whatever. And that that's happening now because the sport has grown up and there's more participants, but still, you know, the majority of people that are coming in, you know, at Western States in, in 29 and a half hours, it's just such an amazing experience for them and for their families. And, and the, the sense of triumph you see in their eyes when they're coming across that finish line is, is remarkable. And I think that is an appeal to, to members of the community as much as watching the, the front runner come in. I mean, the front runner comes in, he crosses the tape. You know, you only see him on the track, right? I mean, you see him for the last quarter mile. It's remarkable to watch. Uh, but to just watch streams of people coming in, you know, bloodied and battered and hobbling and doing everything they can to get to the finish line. It, it's just, it, it's so uplifting. You know, one thing I will never forget about Western States was, and you, and this is what kind of one of the many reasons I love ultra running is it was years ago when Gunhild Swanson was, was, was getting ready to finish. She'd be the oldest finisher and it was getting close. And, and um, remember the video Dean, it was of Rob Crar going out on the course walking the course backwards to find her and running her in the guy who won the race ran out to run in one of the last place finishers. I mean, that, that, that to me was incredibly moving. It, it was amazing. Yeah. Rob's a good friend of mine. And yeah, that moment was, was phenomenal. And to watch him and you know, her crossing and the finish line and he who had won the race, you know, kind of backing off and letting her have her moment. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. But you know, to your point, you know, uh, Jurek would show up at, you know, he'd hang around. He wouldn't even just show up. He'd hang around after winning. He'd hang around and watch everyone come in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, there, there's a heritage of the champions of our sport being um, really giving people. What is your relationship with Western States now? I know Andy's told me that he feels like, you know, he's, he's run it 10 times and now he's going to serve and, and volunteer and be a part of it for, for 10 more times. What is your relationship right now with that race? You know, I'm uh, I'm still in it as a runner. I have to be honest. I, you know, I, uh, I I've paced before and mm-hmm. I volunteered before, and I'm not a good volunteer. I, I have to be. I, I give back to the sport in other ways, uh, but it, I, I just can't work an aid station. Like it, it, there's something about watching people running by that are in pain and suffering that is. I just feel like I, ha- I, I feel like there's a battle going on. And, you know, and my side's losing and I'm not helping out. <laughs> it just, it really claws at me. So I still want to keep running it. I'd love to, uh, you know, I'd love to set a, an age, uh, age group record at 60. Yeah. And I'd love to keep seeing how many record, you know, how many more medals I can tally up. I mean, I have 13 of them now. Uh, the hard part with Western States is just getting in these days. So 
Uh, you're to blame. Uh, if you want to blame anybody, yeah. Dean, look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, you spoke about my next book. Um, my next book coming out is is largely a tribute to Western states in a lot of ways. So I think it'll even further popularize the race. Oh, but, well, before we get to the new book, I just want well, one thing you said I want to unpack here. I've assumed that if Dean Carnazis was working in an aid station, that he would be the best volunteer ever. But you just kind of blew my mind by saying Dean Carnazis is a horrible race volunteer. <laughs> aid station things is not your game. Are you fumbling water bottles? And, and are, you, are you burning the grilled cheese sandwiches, Dean? Is that how, is that how you're screwing it up? It's, it's, it's in my mind, you know, I'm screwing it up and, you know, I, I, I hosted a race called the uh, North face endurance challenge, yeah. which was kind of, I kind of conceived the thing 13 years ago. And, you know, I, I was at every single event and we had, uh, sometimes up to six events across the country and in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was kind of my time to cheerlead, but I would, I'd still, I'd still run at least a marathon every single race because I found if I wasn't actually running, uh, I, I was just, I was grumpy. I wasn't, I wasn't as lively as I'd like to be. I was burning the burgers, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, yeah. somebody was real happy to finish, but you weren't happy to see them because you were unhappy Dean. And then you realized you had to go get your run on during that. Yeah. I mean, I could help set up, I could help tear down, you know, I was, I was a, a, you know, a pack meal when it came to those kind of things, but actually standing there when people are coming in, it was just, I'm, you know, chewing at the back of my hand. <laughs> I just so I so want to be in the action. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's talk about your new book. Your new book is called what? It's called A Runner's High. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. It's it's just a tribute to Western states. Kind of kind of give us the the gist of the new book, Dean. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a tribute to Western states, but it's also a tribute to uh, you know longevity. I mean, you know, my first book, Ultra Marathon Man, which we've been discussing a lot of, um, that was kind of a coming of age book mm-hmm. where I discovered the sport of ultra marathoning, and wow, did it was it has it been a torrid love affair? And now, you know, the it's how how am I still so passionate and so in love with this sport that I've been doing for nearly you know two and a half decades? Yeah, and. And beyond that, you know, how, how, how do you, how do you deal with not being competitive anymore? Yeah. You know, how do you deal with, with, you know, issues of aging, uh, relevance, all those sort of things. So it's, 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 it's more of a philosophy book, I think, than, than a running book necessarily. And I think the two are always, um, you know, intimately tied together, but I think this, this book more than any of my others is kind of a reflection on running mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and kind of putting in words, those emotions and those feelings we runners feel when we do these sort of races, kind of capturing that spirit uh, in a story. Let's talk about burnout for a second. You mentioned that as, as, you know, keeping that passion for running. And we see it in our sport all the time, Dean, where somebody will burst onto the scene, they'll have a huge string of victories, and then injury happens and they fade away quickly. We see it with even the everyday with the middle and the, the back of the Packers like myself. There are just sometimes the passion just disappears and someone gets hot and heavy into it for a couple of years and, and then they slip away. How have you managed to, to keep this love of the sport so fresh for, for two and a half decades? Have you ever burned out? And, and how do you keep that, that love affair so hot? 
Yeah, I th- I just think, and I talk about this in the book. I think it, it's just it's part of my DNA. I mean, it's who I am. It's you know, I'm 100% Greek, and my dad always insists we're from the same village in the hills of Greece as as Pheidippides, you know, the original marathoner. <laughs> I always tell him, Dad, we grew up in L.A. Like, what village in the hills of Greece are you referring to? But <laughs> you know, he says that's it. And, you know, in Pheidippides, and this is 2,500 years ago, he yeah. was part of a class of citizens that mm-hmm. were called um, the Romi, or Hirmo the Romi, which meant, the translation is basically day-long runner or all-day runner. Yeah. And that's what these guys did as a profession. Um, you know, back then, the Greeks knew that, a, you know, a trained runner could outrun a horse in the, in the rocky and, um, you know, mountainous and rugged terrain of southern Greece. So they would dispatch these day-long runners to, you know, collect information, spy on people, you know, um, as diplomatic envoys that send, you know, dispatch them to, to different city-states. And maybe that's just in my blood, but I, I just have always loved running from, you know, my earliest childhood recollection is running home from kindergarten. And I think, you know, the, the one thing that's kept it fresh for me is that uh, I sometimes just don't run with a watch. I, I don't have a destination in mind. I just go out running. You know, I might run for three or four hours. I might be gone for eight hours. A lot of times I'll just put a, uh, you know, a, a, a headlamp in my pack, uh, maybe a couple bucks and um, some gels, you know, and just and take off and run all night just by myself. Mm-hmm. And there's no clock ticking. You know, I'll, I'll run hard if I feel like running hard. I'll, I'll walk if I want to walk. You know, I'll take photos if I want to take some photos. But I think that kind of, that kind of wanderlust um, keeps things fresh. I mean, the, the aboriginals in Australia, I used to live in Australia, and they have this practice called uh, walkabout, mm-hmm. where if they feel like they're kind of, you know, if life's kind of losing its glimmer and they're kind of getting, you know, stale, if you will, they, they just go on a walkabout and they basically just leave the village for, you know, two or three weeks just walking around <laughs> out in the outback. Yeah. It sounds so like I, a, I yeah. what I do just a, a runabout. I'll just go on a runabout and, you know, just, just go run for the pure love of running and nothing else. I think a lot of people, you become slaves to the watch and you see the, you see those folks at the end of a run doing circles in the parking lot to get to the exact mileage (laughs) 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 so it sounds like maybe putting the watch away is a great way i mean the it's a tool right it's a tool but unlike shoes it's not a necessary tool for everyday running it's just something that you can use when you need it and leave behind when you don't you know you and i have the same mindset in that regard but you know some people are hardwired in other ways Mm -hmm. and you know they they need that clock and that's what keeps them going and you know Sometimes it's those people that you described as being in the sport for a couple of years and then kind of fading away. It's just not something that they can hang on to. And yeah, maybe not everybody, everyone's not meant to be in the sport forever. And if that was the case, it'd be even harder to get into Western states. You think it's hard to get into Western states now? Burnout's given everybody at least a little bit of a better chance to get into Western <laughs> states someday. Come on. <laughs> so thanks. Thanks, everybody, for that. Um, Dean, talking about slowing down and, and, and as you get older, comp, you know, being, being less competitive and, and moving farther back into the pack at a race, how, how have you become comfortable with that? How have you dealt with that? You know, I've just, I just do it. I don't, you know, a, a lot of people are amazed when they see me and say, wow, what are you doing way back here? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to set a PR you know, at my age. <laughs> right. 
but it's it's kind of the. Re- I mean, people still have expectations. Like, oh, he's Dean Carnassus, you know. Like, I'll never see him after the start of the race, and they're amazed to see me at the midway point. You know, maybe even bonking or sitting down or something. So, uh, you know, it's 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 just a matter of can you can you eat crow? I mean, I don't have much of an ego. Yeah. So I don't I don't mind. And you know, the other thing is that, in all honesty, I mean, I really didn't start competing uh, in this sport until I was in my early forties. Yeah. So I was well, I mean, I, I won the, the Badwater ultra marathon. I was 44. I, I was well past my prime when I kind of, you know, came of age in the sport and kind of took it seriously. I mean, the first decade of running ultra marathons, I was just fascinated with it. I didn't care about winning or losing or anything. Uh, and then when I kind of did care, I mean, I had a couple good years of, you know, ending up on podiums and winning races. And then my, you know, I was past my prime. So I didn't, I don't have the pressure, I think, of someone like Scott Jurek, who's just, you know, so dominant that, you know, how does he go out and finish mid pack? You know, that, that must be really tough. And, and that's one thing I really admire about Carl. I mean, you know, Carl still is, you know, he's, I think he's won a hundred miler every year for something like 19 years in a row. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's still he and you know he's very competitive in that regard. But he still runs races where he's not winning. He still shows up and runs ultra marathons, and you know he's and in damn respectable times. So I really I admire that about him, his longevity and his passion and commitment. You've done so much, Dean, over your career, and it's funny you look at your own Wikipedia page and it's like, good heavens, what's been an adventure that has stuck out to you as as one of your favorites? Wow. Well, you know, one time I served as a U.S. athlete ambassador. Yeah. And I went on a sports envoy to Central Asia to celebrate the 25-year relationship, the anniversary of the 25 years of diplomatic relations between Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan. Wow. So the guy who put this together said, okay, well, the Silk Road connects those three nations why don't we have you run uh, on the Silk Road between the three capitals of those countries instead of just, you know, showing up like a typical diplomat, you know, in a suit and giving a, a lecture and then, you know, getting in your suburban and going to the next lecture. Yeah. Actually run. And I'm like, well, how far is it? And he said, well, it's 525 kilometers. I'm like, oh, that's doable, you know, over the course of, I don't know, however, however much time. Literally, I know that... <laughs> You know, the, the Silk Road is not as developed as we have things here in the U.S. I mean, it's it's pretty raw and savage out there. And also, we did it in July. It's very hot out there. So that was an experience that I write about it in the book. I, I dedicate a chapter to it. But, I mean, I could dedicate a whole book to it. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, the people. And, you know, I'd show up in some of these townships. And, you know, they, the, the person, there was like a, uh, a State Department person giving me briefings. You know, and they'd say, you know, they this this these people you're going to run, you know, past have never, they've never seen an American before. Like you'll be the first American. <laughs> wow. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm this Uber fit guy in running gear, you know, running down their street. I don't know if I represent the typical American. <laughs> right. but, yeah. Maybe it should have been in one of those rascal scooters um, with a Big Mac <laughs> in your hand with a more accurate representation. Exactly. <laughs> But I mean, I'd show up in some of these townships and the, and literally every single person that lived there, like 5,000 people would all be out on the streets wanting to see me, like what, to see it, what an American looked like, which was just bizarre to me. 
but it, it was also very enduring in a lot of ways because they were so welcoming. And, you know, the whole time I was there, I never heard English once. Mm-hmm. So, there, I mean, there's obviously not a lot of tourists going to Kyrgyzstan or Uzbekistan. Uh, I never saw one Starbucks, one McDonald's. You know, they, they were so far removed from the American experience. Uh, it was really refreshing. We got to look at it this way, too, Dean. I mean, there's three countries, uh, those three stands that you mentioned. There's a whole bunch of people there that believe that all Americans are incredibly fit and handsome because of you. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the world has an image of us being obese and kind of blowhards. Yeah, there's, a, there's a whole lot of cities in those countries are like, those Americans are nice and they're in shape and they're, wow, I did not expect that at all. So thank you, Dean, for for making the old US of A look good. I did the, the country proud, yeah. <laughs> It was either it was either me or Trump, and I guess they got me. So yeah. maybe they think everyone's in shape. Everyone's in shape. Yeah. <laughs> Dean's new hat says "Make America Run Again," which is be great. <laughs> Trademark that one uh, if you want to. What about one Dean of your adventures where you were like, "Well, that was stupid. I'm never doing that again." You know, uh, boy, I could I could tell you so many so many stories like that, but uh, I guess. You know, I've run a marathon to the South Pole. Yeah, and that was that was stupid and dangerous, and that was one and done for. It was supposed to be the inaugural South Pole Marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, where there were forty to fifty intrepid runners from around the globe, all you know, convening on the South Pole to run this marathon. Well, there were three guys there. I mean, and it ended up being so dangerous that we're lucky we lived. So that that's definitely one I will not be doing again. <laughs> but also, one time I. <laughs> One time I, I had this idea of a, a multi-sport challenge. So I started at the old um, competitor magazine location, which was in San Diego. And yeah. they had like this, you know, the send-off starting line reception for me. So I ran from San Diego about 100 miles to Long Beach. Mm-hmm. So I ran right up the Pacific Coast Highway um, in California along the coastline. Got to Long Beach. I hopped in a kayak. Oh. And I paddled 30 miles from Long Beach to Catalina Island. Yeah. And then hopped out of the, the kayak and ran the Catalina Marathon. And I will tell you what, <laughs> after running 100 miles, you, you do not want to sit on your ass for eight hours paddling a kayak, <laughs> you know, stuck in one position. I, I thought it was going to be rigor mortis. I mean, I thought it was going to be in permanent traction. <laughs> Whatever possessed me to do that. I mean, think about it. You run 100 miles, then you just get in a kayak and sit on your butt and paddle for eight hours. Right. And then you go run a marathon after you've been sitting and on your butt you for eight hours. Right. What, what point of that adventure were you like, Dean, this was stupid. This was the dumbest thing I've ever <laughs> thought of. Well, the guy who egged me on to do it, his name is Bob Babbitt. And he's a great guy. He, was the, uh, he used to be the editor of uh, Competitor Magazine. Yeah. And where I got the idea that was really stupid is... As I'm paddling over, a helicopter flies over. So not even a boat. A helicopter flies over, and I look up, and it's Bob Babbitt. He's in the passenger seat. So he's going to the race, but he's taking a helicopter from Long Beach. (laughs) I'm paddling. And they start circling me, and I was so hungry. I'd run out of food that I'm opening my mouth, trying to mouth to him, pointing like, I need food, I need food. So I see him kind of getting the message and he opens this little window. It's, you know, like a little hatch window yeah, uh, about the size of a softball. I would say he opens this window 
and I see him push something out and this thing falls right next to me, but it actually hits the ocean. So I don't actually get it. And I paddle over to it really quickly and it's just this white thing and I fetch it up and it's a sugar donut. <laughs> push a sugar donut out the window. And I was so hungry, I, I tried to eat it, but it was it was soggy wet, like it was like a wet sponge of salt water, and I couldn't eat it. <laughs> and I thought, this is really this is really getting desperate. <laughs> what have you thought of like that 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 moment? And I, I just think it's great of all the things you've done and things have worked out really well. The fifty marathons and fifty states—that's a great book to read. The fifty-fifty, I, I enjoyed that one as well. But to have one where you're like. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Maybe I need to, st- to, st- to take a step back and think about these things twice before I commit to them again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, a, and you know, the other thing I'm reflecting, I, I got out of the, when I, when I pulled up in the kayak on the beach in, in Catalina, mm-hmm. there were some people there helping me and they pulled the kayak in. I mean, that was like a mess when I got there and I stood up for the first time in eight hours and the first thing that happened is I passed gas. <laughs> there was a woman there. Her name was Robin. She's like, oh, my God, the ultra marathon man just farted. <laughs> like, yes, Robin, I, I do fart, actually. <laughs> you need to get her a shirt that says the ultra marathon man farted on me and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. And a soggy donut. <laughs> right, right. <And> a soggy <laughs> sugar donut. All right. I, I don't want to ruin any surprises, Dean, but are you kicking some other things around in your noodle right now that you're trying to make happen for when the world goes back to normal? Yeah, I am. In fact, uh, I've already signed up for one of them. So, um, I'm, uh, as I said, I'm 100% Greek. And the, um, the, uh, the bicentennial of Greek independence Mm-hmm is next March. So 200 years of, uh, of Greek independence uh, is going to be in uh, March of uh, 2021. And we've already come up with this commemorative 10-day run across Greece to, to commemorate the occasion. So hopefully in March, you know, and that's, that's pushing it, right? I mean, I'm going to yeah. hopefully be vaccinated by then. Uh, I'll be doing that. And then in July, uh, I'm going to... Um, run across Australia with a guy named Pat Farmer, who's uh, an Australian um, ultramarathoner. So we're going to run from the westernmost point in Australia to the easternmost point. It's about 5,000 miles across the outback. Holy cow. So those are two things. Yeah, those are two things that I'm looking forward to. Have you worked on any Australian slang before you get out there? She'll be right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I did talk to uh, one of my last guests. Crikey, about it. mate. Crikey's good. Yeah. No, um, it, and I, one of my favorites, and I don't know much Australian slang, but they call liquor stores bottleos. So, bottleos, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is, and McDonald's, they call Maccas. So not that you, not that you do yeah. a whole lot of McDonald's eating anymore, which I'm a little disappointed, Dean, that you've kind of gone off the junk food because people reading ultra marathon man. And you're like, well, I, I would get a pineapple pizza and I'd roll it up like a burrito and eat the whole thing while I was running. That inspired a lot of people who love junk food to get active. But now I hear you're kind of paleo and you're not eating Hawaiian pizzas anymore. 
I have my moments these days. <laughs> my my standards are malleable. But, no, you're right. I mean, I uh, I've definitely cleaned up my diet. I mean, I I had to. I mean, I I you know, let's face it. You can't get away with eating the food that you used to when you're uh, when, as you start to get older without paying a price for it. Yeah. So I kind of changed my diet, but. I'll tell you what, every time I do some sort of organized event, this is so funny, inevitably someone orders a pizza. Really? It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, like when I do these group runs, sometimes at running stores, you know, we'll, we'll be on our little group run and we'll come around a corner and there'll be a pizza delivery guy standing there. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's kind of endearing. And I always have a piece. I mean, come on. Yeah. I remember when I was reading your book, Ultra Marathon Man, and I was telling people about it at work, like this guy, he runs all night. And then he orders the pizza and then, and the person will meet him like halfway through the run with the, with the Hawaiian pizza. And then he'll just roll it up and eat the whole pizza while he's running. And the look on non runners face is like, I was excited about that. Like that is the coolest thing ever. This guy is eating a whole Hawaiian pizza while he's running to non runners. That was the stupidest thing they'd ever heard in their entire life. And the looks on their face, Dean, were like, that is stupid. Why are you reading this book? It's like, oh, come on, man. How can you not be impressed with the pineapple pizza guy? Who doesn't love that? Oh, man, how could you not love that? Yeah. Which, and, I, and I'll tell you what, at the time I did it, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even, it just seemed so natural. Like, God, I'm stranded out here. I've got no food. I've got a cell phone and a credit card. What do I do? It just seemed like, oh, order a pizza. Like, no brainer. I wonder, <laughs> you know, it's funny. That <laughs> brings up an interesting point, Dean. Yeah, and, and then when I wrote, when I wrote about it in my book, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't imagine it would become like a thing. I just thought I'd just tell the story. <laughs> And now it's a thing. I think it's, it makes me think about like with, with, with your kids, right. And they're, they're grown now, but I remember in the book, they were young and they'd travel with you and, you know, kids will talk at school with other kids and they'll say like, Oh, hi, you know, what does your dad do? And people will say like, you know, my dad is, is my, 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 my dad's a floor installer. My dad works at the bank. My dad is a soldier. My kids say, Oh, my dad's a radio DJ. Um, your kids had to had it probably a little bit rougher where they're like, my dad runs. And then the, their kids be like, yeah, my dad runs too. No, no, no. That's what my dad does. He runs and eats pizza. Yeah, I mean, I'll, ne- I'll never forget. To, I took my, my son Nicholas to school one time when he was a little kid. And uh, I, I kind of struggled to get up the curb. I was walking him to the teacher's assistant, you know, it was going to take him inside school. Yeah. And I kind of like hobbled to get up the curb and I, I handed Nicholas off to the, to the TA and the TA was walking with Nicholas in the, into the classroom. And I heard him say is, to Nicholas, is, is your dad okay? And Nicholas kind of just nonchalantly said, Oh, he's fine. He ran a hundred miles yesterday. <laughs> and I'm thinking the TA is probably, he's probably thinking, boy, this kid's got a really vivid imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nicholas didn't think, anything of it. And this TA, I'm sure it's the first time you ever heard of anyone running a hundred miles, let alone, you know, I'm sure he thought my son was making it up, but we've all had those sort of experiences. Oh, for sure. I had to send all one. Of, all of, all of marathon oh, have, yeah. I had to send my kid to school with one of my buckles to prove to his friend that he's like, his, he was, there is a schoolyard fight about it. Well, it's a lunchroom fight about it, Dean, 
where my son was like, yeah, my dad ran a hundred miles. And the kid's like, that's stupid. No one can run a hundred miles. You're making it up. Your, your dad's lying. And he had to bring my buckle to school to show the kids for them to believe that he wasn't just making that up. Oh, that's true. I love that story. How, when, how old was he? Oh, like, what grade? I love uh, that story. He was yeah. probably fifth grade. Fifth grade. Okay. And they got into a big fight, you know, boys sitting around the lunch table. You know, and like my dad ran a hundred miles. You're a liar. You're still full of crap. Your dad didn't run a hundred miles. You're a liar. And then bringing that buckle in, slapping it down on the on the counter, and the kids were like, "What? Yeah." That was, <laughs> I felt like a pretty cool dad after he told me all of that. <laughs> pretty badass dad after that one. Yeah. <laughs> I could just see your son saying, "Could your dad do that?" <laughs> right. Challenge accepted. I remember getting into yeah. uh, fights with the neighbor kids about whose dad could beat up the other dad. My kids can get into arguments with who's, which dad can run farther. Uh, you just slap down a hundred mile buckle and you kind of own it. Like, you, d- you do. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's enough said. It's like, end of story. You win. Your dad wins. <laughs> we give up. <laughs> right. I remember Dean, when I got my first hundred mile buckle and I ordered a belt to put it on and I, I tucked in my shirt for probably six months after that. I'm not a shirt tucker by nature, but I was a shirt tucker for about six months after that because I wanted to show that off. What was it like when you got your first buckle? Were you Did you become a shirt tucker? You know, I wore it to work, actually. It was funny. A lot of my, a lot of my friends, my colleagues, like obviously they knew I was starting to run like crazy, and they knew I was doing the 10-mile race. And... Um, so I just thought, wear the buckle to work. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. I, I just, I'm, I'm, but, uh, I, that, yeah. I think it was the first time. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I, you know, I have, I have some of my buckles out on display, but most, most of them are in the garage. You know I mean? Geez, I've got so many buckles that you can only, you know, I, I don't wear them around that much anymore, which is kind of a pity. Yeah. But it would be kind of hard. It'd be like, you'd have to take a year uh, that could be the year of the buckle. You should do this on your Instagram, Dean. You could do the year of the buckle, and then each day you wear a different buckle and just post that picture on Instagram. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, you need to be a tucker. Be a, be a shirt like, tucker uh, for a year. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll stick with the, the marathon medals, then I won't have to tuck. <laughs> I'm tucking that shirt in so everybody can see that gigantic buckle that I'm wearing. I'm no tucker. <laughs> well, it could be real nonchalant, Dean, and just tuck in the front so they can see the. They can just see the buckle. Keep the back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just. For it, sounds, it sounds like you've got it figured out. Like you've done this before. I've done it once you or know, twice. You know how to stage it right. Yeah. <laughs> Dean, when is your when is your new book? Go on sale, runners high. It comes out in April. Okay. So someone told me it's a, it's like on Amazon right now, which is absurd because you can't even. I, I guess you can pre-order it, but um, it doesn't actually release until April. Okay, April. Um, we're getting close April to April twentieth. Okay, yeah. April twentieth. Uh, Dean Carnassus' new book, Runners High, will be available um, if you want to pre-order it on Amazon. Apparently, it's available now. If you want to give someone a Christmas gift that they can't enjoy for four months. You can be one of those uh, one of those weirdos. But um, Dean, speaking of Christmas, you might be the expert on this. As we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, what are some Dean Carnazes recommended Christmas gift for the runners on people's Christmas list? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you can't say all North you know, Face. No, I mean, <laughs> a, per- a percussion gun. I mean, those things are terrific. Oh, I don't, you know, there's a lot of good ones yes. out there. What ultra marathoner doesn't love one of those? Mm-hmm. Well, 50 blows a, a, a minute or second, you know. Yeah, so that's a good one. Uh, obviously, these days we can't have enough buffs. <laughs> Enough Everyone what? needs a buff. I mean, all buff, yeah, you know, yeah, buff, yeah, 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 yeah. The pull up over your face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's another good one? Um, there's a, a company that puts out a headlamp called BioLite. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is a yeah, it's a really great light, and uh, they use all recycled materials. Good. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, a gift certificate to. Um, uh, a pizza joint, a local pizza joint, a round table, preferably. They make good Hawaiian. <laughs> get someone, you get someone a Hawaiian pizza gift card and say it's from Dean. Which, by the way, Dean, I think it's only fair that you get, you're allowed to make an impassioned plea um, on this episode of the Adventure Jogger. Because right now it's kind of uh, popular on the internet. And I'm sure you've seen the meme to say that Hawaiian pizza is not real pizza. Nobody should put pineapple on pizza. Dean, could you settle this argument about why pineapple should be on pizza once and for all? Uh, I am of the believers that pineapple belongs on pizza. And mm. it's very controversial, I've noticed, on the Internet. Yes, and I'm sure I'm going to have many haters after this. But, <laughs> yeah, pineapple is rightly belongs on a pizza, people. Um, that's, right. my, that's my firm position. Taking a stance. Uh, Dean will accept any challenge. Um, if anyone <laughs> wants to race him, and you'll go for distance... If you can outrun Dean, um, and if you're an anti-pineapple pizza person, would you put up like a pineapple pizza race challenge? Like if you can outrun Dean, you 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 know you you would win or something. You'd swear off pineapple pizza for the rest of your life. I love that idea. I'd, I'd be very competitive. That'd be one race I'd be very competitive in. I could yeah, I could see you digging <laughs> I, deep. I trained real hard for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Dean's digging real deep because he doesn't want to let all of his pineapple pizza followers down. Dean Carnazis, the ultra marathon man well, and, himself. Yeah, you know, and I just have to add, yeah. I, I'm 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 stuttering here because I can't get beyond one thing that that came up in this conversation. I'm, I need to talk to my publisher now to see if this was by design. But the book comes out on uh, April 20th. <laughs> and I, I said to you, like the first time I, came, it put, I put it together, I said it's 420. Yeah. I don't know if you know what 420 day is. Yeah, it's, it's marijuana. I got teenagers, Dean, there, I know. And, oh, see, and the book is called The Runner's High. Oh! I, I, I always wonder, like, why did they choose it? It seems so random, like April 20th. It seems like a random Tuesday. But I think there's, some, there's something in in that like I, I i need to talk to my publisher yeah i think it's kind of brilliant yeah, yeah. i think there's going to be a photoshop picture on the cover of you with a joint in one <laughs> hand and a pineapple pizza in the other with my arm around elon musk <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> before before i let you go dean and this is but this has been great um andy jones wilkins is a, is a friend of mine he's been on the podcast a bunch of times and last time he was on, we talked about his incredible uh, 2005 Western States where he finished second, less than a half hour behind Scott Jurek, and it was just a great race. Can you take us back, because I know Andy's going to hear this, can you take us back to 2005 Western States and share with us the moment, if you can remember, when Andy Jones Wilkins passed you? 
Well, first of all, is he out of jail? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andy. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. I had to do that. <laughs> there's, uh, I, I've repressed it because he's reminded me of it so many times. But there's a moment, a glorious moment where he passed me. And um, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I'll let, I'll let Andy bathe in his glory on that one. But... Does, does he? I and, do, and I give it up to him. He, he's a stud. He was no doubt. Yeah. We, we love Andy. I do a slight Andy Jones and Wilkins impersonation, and so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll give this to you. Does he meet you? Like when he sees when he sees you from across the room, does he go like, "Hey, hey, Dean Carnazes, remember when I passed you in 2005?" Is that the first thing he brings up? Always, <laughs> and I'm just like him. <laughs> Never forget that, Dean. I could pass you again. Let's run now. <laughs> well, Dean, this has been a great chat. Thank you for uh, for making this happen. Because sometimes when you put requests out, you never know if a person sees that. Thank you for. Deciding to come on a podcast called The Adventure Jogger. No, I love your podcast. I love your spirit. I love your energy. This has been a fun hour. I've really enjoyed it. So thanks for having me on. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode.